Hey podcast listeners, this is Kobe from the Common Thread Podcast team. I'm here with two more team members, Matthias and Mac. Today we are sitting down with two members of VU College Republicans, the President, Corey Prey, and the Secretary, Anastasia Coartes. Uh, we've got a good episode for you that we're going to try to dig into a lot of some s- substantive issues within the Republican Party and within the conservative movement across the country. Uh, so with that, let's get started. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? First of all, tell us a little bit about who you are um, within the university, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for having us uh, on the show today. Uh, my name is Corey Prey. As you mentioned, I'm the president of the College of Republicans here at Boston University, uh, and I'm a senior in CAS, double majoring in chemistry and political science. And hello, thanks again for having us. Uh, my name is Anastasia Curtis. I am a junior. Um, I'm majoring in political science with a minor in biology, and I'm the secretary of BUCR. Thanks for thanks for coming on, guys. Um, the The first place that I want to to, to kind of go with you guys is, um, for one, how did you? How, what was your experience, kind of? through the nomination process and and then during the electoral campaign itself just uh, just personally your personal views on it yeah I mean I think we all started off at different places um, you know with 17 candidates in the race to begin with um, each person kind of had their candidate of choice for me um, it was Carly Fiorina um, I know for you it was Marco Rubio <laughs> yes, and I mean true. we had we had everyone mm-hmm. we had you know Jeb Bush supporters we had a couple uh, original Trump supporters, we had Cruz, I mean, you know, the list goes on on and on. Um, so, and then going through as the list kind of narrowed down, you kind of saw people consolidate around, around a few people. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I know at the end, you know, it was kind of between Trump, Cruz, and Rubio, and Kasich, and, um, and I think that was kind of too where you saw some of the divides within the party. Mm-hmm. Um, that is exactly what we yeah. want to get to. So what was kind of what was the mm-hmm. what was the first bone of contention within within your group and within within kind of the, the, the conservative sphere at BU? What was the first point at which people started looking at each other like, really, this is the direction that, that our, our party and our movement is going in? Like what, what what's going on here? Well, last year was around Mar- March, I think after Rubio dropped out of the race, uh, we had a debate between a really strong Trump supporter and the rest of um, the UCR. So they were, there was a debate back and forth uh, with a Trump supporter, and then like some of the stuff he said, some of the stuff that Trump said for, we were not like, we weren't really sure if this was going to be, um, if this is going to be the way forward, if this is, if we're going to support the party and stuff. But I think eventually we came around to support the nominee. So I want to ask just real quick so we can define the function of BU College Republicans, because I know everyone knows about BU College Republicans, college Dems on pretty yep. much every college campus, but what do you? what is the primary function of your organization to, to sit and debate, to do uh, activism mm-hmm. uh, in the community? What what do you consider the central... Yeah, I mean, it's it's really a combination of, mm-hmm. of all those things. Um, you know, we're the conservative voice on campus, so we try to have bi-weekly meetings. Yes. Um, the topics of those meetings will range. Anything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll have like policy discussions. Sometimes we'll just show a film. We've had like debate watch parties. Um, we also started a, a speaker series. Mm-hmm. So last semester we worked with an, an organization called Young America's Foundation. Um, they provide uh, conservative speakers um, to college campuses across the country. So we hosted Katie Pavlich, 
who um, she is a Fox News contributor and the editor of townhall.com. Um, so, so yeah, so um, things like that. And uh, we're trying to continue that this semester. We're working on getting another speaker right now. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, okay, so for, for me, let's, let, let's get right, right, right into kind of the, mm -hmm. the, the nitty-gritty of um, the, the, um, the, the actual nomination process and, yep. and, and kind of the, the, the hoopla surrounding that. And I, I mentioned to you guys before we started recording while we were waiting that um, I wanted to touch on the kind of the Ben Shapiro incident at Breitbart. Mm -hmm. right? Yes. <laughs> so, so for those who don't know, Ben Shapiro is a, is a fair, I mean, I would say a fairly prominent public conservative intellectual who has, who's widely regarded and widely recognized as, as an intelligent guy with uh, superlative credentials, all of that. His, uh, his credibility is mm -hmm. not in question, right? Yeah. And, he, uh, um, oh, sorry to interrupt you, but like he started college when he was just 16. Right. And like he graduated with honors from uh, UCLA and from Harvard, right. which oh is amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so the guy is the guy is a, a very impressive character, right? And um, and he uh, he was affiliated with with Breitbart News, right? When it was originally under the stewardship of Andrew Breitbart mm -hmm. before right. he passed away, uh, very suddenly, and he very publicly resigned from from Breitbart during the nomination mm -hmm. process as a result of the treatment of a female Michelle Breitbart Fields. reporter mm -hmm. with regards to the Corey Lewandowski incident, mm -hmm. right? right? And so I, I wanted to, I, I, I was curious, how did that kind of play for you guys in terms of your perception of what was going on within kind of the, the, the inner circle of, of mm -hmm. conservative thought and of the conservative mm -hmm. movement? Mm -hmm. Do you want to, you can go ahead. Um, yeah, all right, so I could see that there was some kind of divide probably even like amongst the most right-wing parts of the conservative movement, like Ben Shapiro was regarded as somebody fairly right-wing as even like for some Republicans. And seeing him leave Breitbart meant that there was more of a split, that Breitbart was gonna be like the most like pro-Trump, pro-anti-establishment, whereas Shapiro, well, he, he had called himself never Trump. He didn't vote for Trump on election day. Um, I've seen him like embrace him more lately but I think he's been doing a great job with Daily Wire, and that's where I get most of my conservative news as opposed to Breitbart. Um, I find Daily, Daily Wire to be more trustworthy, to be honest, whereas Breitbart, it's basically like the Trump camp. It's like they would defend everything Trump would do, even though it was wrong. Yeah. I, I think within the, the conservative mm -hmm. movement, there's a pretty clear line between the conservative movement and what has been called the alt-right. But I think to the rest of the population, that line sort of gets blurred, and things mm -hmm. within the conservative movement get labeled as alt-right, right. yes, and things, and you know, and vice versa. Um, mm -hmm. And but, as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned, that does far more mm -hmm. harm than good, right? right. And so, mm -hmm. and so, I'm wondering if, if for our listeners, you can kind of define what that what that breaking point is. Kind of, I mean, in my mind, it's you. On one hand, you have the the like the National Review mm -hmm. type, the mm -hmm. Daily Wire yes. type. Uh, Reason.com type, yep. you know, the kind of the more traditional strains of conservative thought that yep. have existed and have spread and, and have flowered in the United States for the past 40 and 50 years. And then on the other hand, you have this, this more mm -hmm. recent offshoot mm -hmm. that's more a function of the emergence of conservative talk radio, that type of thing, yep. uh, Drudge Report, then, then Breitbart suddenly taking, uh, taking a, a far-right turn. Yep. Um, how, do you guys, how do you guys conceive of that? Kind of within the within the, the conservative circle. <coughs> I mean, I mean, I consider myself a you know a Ronald Reagan conservative. Okay. Um, you know the 
traditional conservatism of the 1980s, uh, you know, limited government, mm -hmm. free enterprise, um, you know, respect of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Um, and, I mean, I think there's some new issues that have kind of come out in the 21st century where the conservative movement, th th that have sort of caused that, that divide. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's more of a focus on things like, yeah, right, uh, immigration um, has been probably the biggest issue. Um, that has sort of, you know, caused that divide to increase. And so how does that resonate, though? Like, how do you how do you feel about the emergence of those new issues kind of within the context of your political thought? I mean, what is it? Does it jive? Does it resonate? Is it something that you find kind of discordant? Um, I mean, we try to stick to our principles and to what we believe in, but, like, there's also, like, you look at things from a different view right now. Like, you try to see why do these people believe like this? What are, you know, you try to weigh... Like when you form your thought, you try to look at different sources and try to see what's best for you. So, who do you consider? You said you're Ronald Reagan conservative, mm -hmm. right? Who do you consider the heir to that today? Because what what I'm finding going to find interesting in the yeah. next couple years here mm -hmm. is that the party of free enterprise, the party uh, who who supported free trade, both parties supported free trade, yeah. but who was more outspoken in mm -hmm. support of free trade since the World War II era. Uh, is all of a sudden going to have to take some very tough votes on trade issues. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, you know, who are the, uh, the elected officials who you see as the heirs to Ronald Reagan? How are they going to deal with specifically this free, tr free trade issue? And then who outside of elected officials, outside of the Beltway maybe, represents that Ronald Reagan conservatism for you? That's a very tough question. I um, think it's, it's really hard to find somebody who is actually like an heir of Ronald Reagan. I think Ronald Reagan was one, like, one unique person. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, again, I think you know, the 21st century is not identical to the 1980s, mm -hmm. so you're not going to get someone who, again, there's, there's new issues to deal with. So there's no one who I, I think is going to be the exact you know, replica mm -hmm. of, of someone wow. like Ronald Reagan, but... Um, you know, I mean, there are still politicians who very much fit that mold. People like Ted Cruz, people mm -hmm. like Paul Ryan. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a huge portion of the, of the party that mm -hmm. still, still, you know, advocates for, mm -hmm. for those values. So, yeah. Right. On, on the free trade issue, if you don't mind yeah. digging mm -hmm. in yeah. for, for a moment here. So when it comes to uh, taking some of these votes that are going to come up, so, like, let's say, let's play a hypothetical out here, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we decide we want to put a 20% tariff on Mexico, or the administration mm -hmm. decides that that's what they want to push for. Uh, in a debate, would you, you know, if, if you were to go be an activist, go knock on doors, would you say, hey, uh, I think our Republican representatives should get reelected because they voted for a 20% tariff on Mexico? I mean, I, I, you know, so I think that when we look at candidates um, and we look at who we're electing to office, we have to look at a, a wholesome perspective right so um while i personally believe in free trade right um, you know and there's this whole difference now between what, what is free trade and what is fair trade yeah is exactly. is fair trade free trade and there's mm -hmm. you know that's a whole another debate um but i mean you know for me you know you know of course donald trump i did vote for him in this election yeah. um but there were issues some is some specific issues that i didn't agree with him on mm -hmm. um the whole fair trade thing was one of them. 
I again I tend to yeah. be a, a free trader as opposed to, and and the, you know and you see that and people can people in the party are having you know friendly disagreements about that and, right um, so yeah so all right, so let's say so did you vote for uh, Donald Trump yes I did so let's say we expand beyond trade for a second because that mm -hmm. is I, I I did you know bring that up for a reason just because that's where I see. Mm -hmm the biggest discordance between sort of the Republicans that just got elected yep. and the mm -hmm. Republicans of history. But let's move, let's expand beyond free trade, yet stay within economics. What are the economic policies of this administration that when you walked into the voting booth, you said, I am glad I am voting for this economic policy? Well, I think some of the tax policies were important, especially because, well, they weren't perfect, but, like, I'm more of a flat tax advocate. Um, Trump was not... Um, he did not support the flat tax. However, comparing his economic, like his taxes, his tax policies with the tax policies that Hillary Clinton <coughs> would implement, I think was what made. Well, me while I, I do support free trade, I also support bringing jobs back to America. Right. And that was one thing he promised. I think the way to do that is to lessen unnecessary regulations on the American economy, mm -hmm. so that businesses can create jobs here. And then jobs will come back to America. Right. Um, so yeah. Okay. So I, I'm I'm curious about the way that you guys perceive kind of the I guess the intellectual gaps and the intellectual disparities in terms of principles within the conservative movement, because that 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 for me is is what's going to be most interesting in mm -hmm. the next few years. It's not where are we right now, because as far as mm -hmm. I'm concerned, nobody has any idea yeah. where exactly. things are going. Right. <laughs> but in 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 your perspectives, what what do you, what do you guys see in terms of those gaps and 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 where this could potentially move are there going to be are there going to be splits because and let, let me kind of let me couch this question into into the context of the past yeah. 10 years say right with the emergence of the tea, the tea party, party. Yeah. for mm -hmm. instance and how that relates to the rise of trump and whether or not those principles are consistent with those advocated from trump i i personally see a pretty substantial amount of divergence mm -hmm. but in terms of the overall emotion the spirit that mm -hmm. underpins the respective movements the one that elected trump and the mm -hmm. one that brought a whole lot of tea party sponsored politicians mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. office kind of over the course of uh, 2010 and 2014 mm -hmm. um what are your, what are your perspectives on that where, where do you yes. where do you see the intellectual foundations of of the republican party and the conservative movement going in yep. the next few years I mean, the GOP is a really diverse field, right, especially right now. Um, which is which is ironic. Most people yes. would say that it's homogenous. <laughs> everybody, everybody's the I mean, same. Yes. The no, it's is. very much it's very much a, a big tent party. Right. Yes. It really is. Yeah. I mean, you have like uh, you have a lot of libertarians who support the GOP. You have the Tea Party. You have moderate Republicans. You have establishment Republicans. Um, as to where it will go right now, that's a pretty hard question to answer because. Um, I think we would have to see how, like, how Trump's going to work, uh, how, like, if his policies will be effective, if people will be happy, um, even amongst, like, not only, like, amongst Republicans, but, but amongst Americans in general. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be, like, I don't think it's going to go back to the Reagan era, at least not anytime soon. But it's, I mean, again, that's not impossible. You brought up an interesting, interesting point um, about sort of the rise of the Tea Party and, and Trump. And, um, you know, part of that is that people feel left out of the, the uh, discussion. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, people who, even in this election, people who had even, you know, slightly conservative views were often labeled as, you know, racist, xenophobic, homophobic, homophobic sexist, and that, that doesn't resonate with people. And that's, yes, exactly. and that's what the left continued to, to push through, mm -hmm. you know, you had Hillary Clinton called, you know, Trump supporters a basket, basket of, of deplorables. deplorables. <laughs> and... That just does not resonate well with voters. Oh, absolutely. Um, yes. That, you know, even you know, and again, this is even people who have slightly conservative views, and uh -huh. most people who voted for Donald Trump aren't far alt right people. Yes. They are just you know normal Americans. Even some Democrats voted for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Many just, Democrats. And just to comment on that, yeah. I mean, I, I think one one of the, if if you do an objective analysis yeah. of what actually happened in terms of electoral outcomes, it's very clear that what decided the outcome of the election is. The outcome within the so-called blue wall, right, mm -hmm. right, exactly. And yeah. so these are so. So I think um, I remember reading this uh, this series of investigative stories in the New York Times, kind of in the week following mm -hmm. the election, in which they sent reporters to counties that had voted blue in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve, and that went red in mm -hmm. twenty sixteen. Right. So go explain to people who voted for Barack Obama twice that they're racist. Right. right. I mean, how, how are they? Exactly. I mean, they're, they're, they're just going to shut shut their door in your face. They're not even going to engage in conversation. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Which is problematic in and of itself. So I understand that the, the, the question I asked just a moment ago is a very broad one. So let me kind of divorce it from from the generality and bring it more yeah. specifically. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the movement going and kind of the foundational principles of the conservative party and the conservative movement? Um, within our generation mm -hmm. of conservatives, where where do you see that going in terms of intellectual trends? What are people paying attention most attention to mm -hmm. right now? Not so not so much. Okay, let's look at the existing political players. Yep. But what do you guys want to see in terms of where the where the party shifts as we move forward in time? For your for for you who are going to be the yep. future kind of mm -hmm. base cons constituency of the of the Republican Party. So I, I hope that the party is able to unite mm -hmm. um, and sort of heal some of the divides that have gone away within the party. And I, I mean, I think the, the party is in, a, is in good shape right now. But I, I do, I think going forward, we are going to have to, you know, come together because right now, I mean, you know, you look at the electoral map and you see, you know, I mean, yes, I will admit that not a lot of millennials are conservatives or, uh, or uh, you know, yeah. So we have to unite going forward. We have to start taking new approaches um, mm -hmm. on issues. And we, we sort of talked a little bit outside about, um, you know, some, many millennials don't care as much about the cultural issues. That's, that's true to some extent, mm -hmm. but... Yeah, can we speak on that yeah. a little bit? Yes, because I think, that, I, I think that thematically is, is really yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so, 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 you know, the hot button, the yeah. hot button issues say, let's go... Um, gay marriage, mm -hmm. uh, yep. abortion, uh, abortion yep. um, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, and, and say, say, for instance, this is, this is another issue that I think is going to arise mm -hmm. um, yep. within yes. the current administration with the uh -huh. nomination of Jeff Sessions as, a, of, mm -hmm. as Attorney General is the issue of, say, um, what about states that are legalizing recreational marijuana, for instance? Like, yep. these are the kind of issues mm -hmm. that we're going to have to, that, that are going right. to be affecting us moving forward. Yes. So, right. so how does our generation of conservatives view those kinds of issues? So, I'll, We'll kind of take it one by one. Sure. Um, so Let's start with the. Um, start with. Start with gay, gay marriage. marriage. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think like a lot of con a lot of millennial um, conservatives are for gay marriage. I'm personally for gay marriage too. 
Um, basically, the way we look at it is that because like you should have the liberty to get married, um, the government shouldn't tell you who to marry, when you know. So um, I think that's something that's gonna change later on. Um, that like, I think public, I mean, conservative perception of gay marriage is gonna be, uh, like, if more people are gonna be for it, they're not gonna like, they're not gonna be as many effort efforts as um, you know trying to stop like force states to. I mean, gay marriage is legal all around the country right now, so I don't think there's going to be um, many efforts to reverse that. I think this is an issue that the party has already moved on with. Yes. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, you have people like, you know, people talk about Mike Pence and people, right. you know, saying how he, but even he, you know, after, you know, Donald Trump said, we're going to enforce the executive order of Obama, that, the Obama right, administration, the Obama administration uh -huh. that, you know, doesn't discriminate against LGBTQ and transgender individuals, he said, absolutely, we're going to Yes, I mean, there's and, even if you want to, right. like, there's not much you can um, do right now. Right. So you don't. So you guys think that the party isn't going to go back on? I don't. Oh think no, so. no, I, absolutely I, I, not. I, no. I think, I think you know, I mean, there's people who still believe in, in traditional marriage, and that's and that's fine. But I don't think it's something that you're going to see mm -hmm. legislative action on. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, for sure. Um, abortion. So there are. An increasing number of pro-choice uh, conservatives and, yes. and, and and Republicans, mm -hmm. but um, you know I for one am actually I'm I'm pro-life, but Same. I think that the party needs to take a different approach to what we're doing right now. Yes, for example, um, like we could do more stuff about providing uh, contraceptives, birth control, whereas like we don't have to pay for abortion. Okay, so so specifically on that point. Um, and within within that context, mm -hmm. just because just because you did specify on that level, then I, I want to ask you about Planned Parenthood because mm -hmm. the the way that the way that it's characterized mm -hmm. today in a lot of kind of mainstream conservative mm -hmm. circles is that Planned Parenthood is basically an abortion mill. Mm -hmm. And so if you look if you actually but if you look at what what the actual practices and responsibilities of Planned mm -hmm. Parenthood are, they're they're much broader than that, mm -hmm. right? So I think if I Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what I hear you saying is that mm -hmm. we need to we need to be paying attention not just to the specific, very narrow issue of whether or not abortion should mm -hmm. be legal, but we should also be taking into consideration everything else that affects an issue like abortion, namely yes. contraception, family mm -hmm. planning, that kind of thing. Is that correct me if I'm wrong? Yeah, so basically like what I'm trying to say is that um, if we want to prevent abortion, we should focus more on like not getting people pregnant in the, in the first place and like something that we can do is by providing contraception and condoms and birth control you brought up Planned Parenthood um, mm -hmm. they it's true but the, the the two things that Planned, Planned Parenthood provides are contraceptives and abortions mm -hmm. some people like Cecile Richards have said that Planned Parenthood provides things like prenatal care they actually don't um, they actually, there was a, a video I saw, they called 92 Planned Parenthoods, and almost every single one of them, they asked, you know, do you provide right. prenatal care? Right. They said, no, we don't. Right. Um, so, um, well, I, I disagree with what Planned Parenthood does. Um, again, I think a different approach is needed. Okay. And whether that, whether that falls on Planned Parenthood or whether that falls on some other, you know, that they talk about, like, um, you know, federal medical centers around the country that could provide the same services to women without, without abortion. abortions. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think that's something that, that, that should be considered. But yes. we ha all we have to provide women with the resources to prevent abortions occurring in mm -hmm. the first place. 
Um, so yeah. Absolutely. On this issue of motivating the millennial generation to support the conservative movement, mm -hmm. so we talked about gay marriage, maybe sort of acquiescing on that subject. Um, we talked about maybe changing the messaging on abortion or, or some of mm -hmm. the policies. What are the proactive things that Republicans can be doing? I mean, what gets the people in your group excited about Republican candidates, and, and what can Republicans be doing to attract uh, millennial support? Yeah. I mean, a lot of Republican, at least in the primary, Marco Rubio talked a lot about uh, reducing student loan debt, and I think focusing more on issues that affect millennials would be important, which is like college, for example. And okay. it's, it's, it's important to go back to the principles and values that the party stands for. Um, when, when you communicate, you know, why someone should, should join the party, you have to go back and say that we are a party founded on, you know, founding principles of, of this country. It really goes back to the founders um, who, who emphasized, um, the, uh, you know, dignity of the, of the individual. You know, I think one of the things the left has made the mistake of doing is sort of playing this game of, of identity politics. Mm -hmm. and, Absolutely. And, and everyone's in a, you know, in a group or has a label. And that's just that just doesn't work. We the, our party sees each person as an, as an individual, mm -hmm. and we want each person to have an equal playing field, um, you know, for for opportunity and to be able to reach their full potential. Um, and also, um, you know, I mean, a lot of policies that you see currently are hurting young people, uh, and that's important to communicate too. You know, for for example, the Affordable Care Act. Um, if you're 21 right now, you're paying an average of $1,100 more on your health care than if you were, than, than you were before the affordable right, care. Right, well that, so, that is yeah. if you're not on your parents' plan. Correct, right. yeah, if you're not on your parents' plan. But still, that when you when you get off your parents' plan, you have less options. Oh, absolutely. Look, I kind of don't yeah. don't necessarily want to get into yeah the no 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 that's that's each particular no that's okay but but so but that but, but I yeah. but your comment raises raises another issue. What about what about say say healthcare within our generation? How do how, how does our generation of conservatives? So these are these are yep. two. I'm I'm going to ask you two two big ones here. Kind of, I think that that are important for for our generation, just collectively speaking, in terms yep. of people attaching importance to them. The first one is 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 healthcare. How do you conceive of healthcare? Whether or not there should be a universalized right system, mm -hmm. because you never get universal healthcare, even within countries that have so-called yep. universal healthcare. Um, but so, so should there be some kind of universalized proposition on the table? And then the second one for me is climate change. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. is that? Which which I think there there is, if I understand correctly, there is a pretty substantial generational divide on the question of climate change within the conservative party. So if you guys, I would could say speak so. Yeah. That. Yes. Um, should we go first with healthcare? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Start with so yeah, I think it would be really hard to implement socialized medicine in the U.S. Uh, probably because like every state is different, and like every person, like every person's needs would be different. Whereas like having one, like one umbrella. Um. um like healthcare system would not benefit everybody. I think that like we should. Um, I think people who really really need um, like help with healthcare, they they should be like they should be allowed to have some kind of system, something that would replace. Like for example, like they're talking now a lot about uh, replacing Obamacare. I think Rand Paul had. Yep. Uh, Rand Paul's proposition was pretty good, but like I think they should also like. Um, allow for for like the insurance company companies to compete with each other maybe try to make private um health care cheaper 
but yeah, I believe that I think uh, socialized healthcare would not be an option, would not be a good solution here. I mean, I, w- I would encourage people to go read the bills that have been suggested mm-hmm. for uh, for replacement of the Affordable Care Act. Um, you mentioned Rand Paul. I mean, he had some great ideas. And he's a doctor, um, so. And yeah, he's a doctor. So he's mm-hmm. a, and um, you know, allowing competition across state lines allowing individuals to, to sort of pool together um, in order to have like more leverage in the um, insurance market. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I mean, there's some, there's some creative solutions right. that are, are going on right now. Mm-hmm. But, ju- but just to clarify, mm-hmm. so, on, so on principle, yeah. the notion that, that as many Americans as possible, as is realistically feasible, should be, should have access to some, some form of reasonable Absolutely. Some form, yes. Absolutely. Right? I mean, so that, that that's something mm-hmm. that, that that for our generation yeah. yes. of conservatives is uh-huh. important. I yes. mean, let's 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 be very mm-hmm. clear that, that you guys are not advocating that you know some some get some get get access. Some Absolutely, some others no, right. no, no, Absolutely. I, I mean, just want to confirm. Absolutely, just like we can't. I'm just what I'm saying is that we can't take a system that works well in one country and implement it here. Like for example, um, like Sweden had they have a really good healthcare system, but I I don't think it would work in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, different, mm-hmm. country with different size, right? Yes, exactly. Yep. Different demographics, um, different size. And so, so on climate change. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. There is a, a general a generational divide. I would say I would say so. I think there's there's some myths about what the party doesn't does not believe. So right. I I'd say absolutely. Most people in the party realize that that something is going on. I I say that very broadly, and mm-hmm. you know I think there's even more divide into like what that something is. Um, so I'd say probably most people our age yes, would, would agree that yes, mm-hmm. climate change is, is caused by human somewhat activity. by mm-hmm. man-made activity, and that, but possibly not all of it. Some of it may be caused by you know natural mm-hmm. cycles or sure. whatever. But um, but I, I think the the consensus among our generation is yes, we want to invest in in, in other sources of energy. Mm-hmm. We want to sort of like let the free market take us to different sources of energy and and solutions to climate change um, as, as we go along but also we need to balance that with um, you know uh, keeping our, our economy stable um, mm-hmm. and, and things like that so so there, there needs to be a, a balance somewhere um, some people on the you know very far left suggest you know say no more oil and gas right sure. away. No, uh, but I mean, and that's a, that, <laughs> but just to, just to clarify, what you guys are saying yeah. is that there needs to be some kind of legislative oh, push, yes. Yes. Right, to deal directly and squarely yes. with this, the reality this, of climate change. Uh, yes. This, right? this, so this, that's where the generational divide is, mm-hmm. is, is the fact that you guys are saying, look, we actually need to take an active role in doing well, this. Well, because this is going mm-hmm. to affect us. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but what, is it, what does that look like? So, so the, the free market, let's mm-hmm. say, let's just say the free market for the sake of argument, will uh, push us yeah. towards renewable energies, right? But the the time frame is the issue here, right? Because climate change is an issue. Science happens on its time frame, and, and science isn't saying, well, all right, the market's going to come around and fix everything later. Um, this is an issue where there is a breaking point. And so what are the types of solutions that you feel comfortable with as legislative, you know, dare I say, like, quote-unquote, big government solutions? What can the government do that... Fixes that that not that pushes us towards renewable energy that re- reduces carbon emissions, mm-hmm. um, but does it in a way that you feel comfortable with uh, regarding the role of government. Well, they could put uh, subsidy subsidies on uh, renewable energy companies. 
But over the course of the Obama administration, uh, there were cases where Republicans went after the Obama administration for subsidizing renewable energy. Like, for instance, um, Mm -hmm. uh, the big Solyndra loan was a a huge, uh, huge instance where I think the government just mismanaged money, and Republicans used that for Mm -hmm. a number of years. And then you had James Inhofe, uh, the the chair of the Energy Committee, throwing snowballs in the Senate and everything. So so my, my question is, like, now that the Republicans are sort of tempering, you know, Republicans in office are tempering their views. They're, they're not denying anymore. They're now saying, well, it's, you know, maybe there's some, man, uh, mm-hmm. some change, but we're not sure if it's man-made, or maybe it is man-made, but we don't know to what extent. That's what you've heard from uh, administration officials. Um, you know, what is the action? You know, there has to be, there, there has to be some action that pushes, pushes us forward, and I, I just want to I'm trying to find yeah. figure out what that looks like in a way that conservatives are comfortable with. Because ultimately, I think it's important that that the whole uh, nation can get behind the policy, specifically because it's it's over the course of, of the policy, whatever this policy might be, there will be Republican administrations and Democratic administrations. Mm-hmm. And it's important that there's a consensus across the aisle so that we're not starting with an energy policy and then reversing it four years later. Con- consensus across the aisle, that's a, that's a novel idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is just the inner conservative in me, but I, I honestly think what government is, is limited in what it can do. Mm-hmm. I, I truly think that. Um, and I, 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 again, I'll say again, I think that if we let the free market take its course, mm-hmm. we will find some, you know, source of energy that we can, you know, we'll, we'll, I mean, I, you're, you're right, you're right, and I, I'm not going to pretend that I have all the answers, right, right, but, you know, I mean, I, I saw one example of, like, and this is just a small thing, but, um, like, uh, there was, like, an artist in, like, China who made this device that, um, it actually, like, it was, like, a, it was, like, a giant fan, and it actually, like, collected carbon emissions, and then, they took the car, it, it collected the carbon emissions, then they pressurized it and made it into like a diamond. Um, and just like little cool things like that um, that come from just like, like innovation. Yeah. Um, you know, those things can make, you know, even if it's a small impact. Um, but yeah, so. Right. Right. So innovation. Yeah. So I have a yeah. so question, on, question on the just the free market principle yep. and the economy generally speaking. So um, I think the both of you said that one of the reasons that despite your differences with the tenor, whatever, whatever, whatever differences you may have had with the candidate, Donald Trump, one of the reasons that you ended up voting for him is because you firmly believe that he presented a superior alternative in terms of the economy, Mm -hmm. right? And so the core of that is bringing manufacturing back to the United Mm -hmm. States. But as we know, with something like a free market principle, I'm wondering, I'm wondering kind of where, where the party goes in terms of solutions that you provide for the jobs that simply aren't coming back. Because if you look at automation, for instance, yep. it's only going to accelerate. Absolutely. Right? So, so something like manufacturing, if the United States is to be competitive in yep. a global marketplace, um, manufacturing, unfortunately, is going to be, become completely automated within, yeah. within no, the span I, of I a decade agree. at most, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I'm wondering is, how, how do you reconcile kind of the, the, the free market principle, right, with the reality that, you know, the jobs that we say we're going to be bringing back likely will not last and or will not be created in the first place just because of a basic concept of return on investment, 
right? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely. So I'm so yeah. so I'm wondering how do, where where do we go with that in terms of conservative principle applying like a conservative yep. principle to to the to a free market idea to, to job creation? You know, you're you're absolutely right. Um, and yeah, I would agree with you that manufacturing jobs are not going to be the main um, type of job that we see come back in, into the United States. We are a, a service economy now. That's what is going to continue to grow. Um, but I, I do think that applying free market principles to the general economic policy can, uh, again, it doesn't have to be manufacturing jobs. We're right. just talking about bringing jobs to, sure. to the United States. So as I, as I mentioned earlier, by rolling back regulations um, that you know, inhibit businesses or, or small businesses to grow and thrive, um, I, that will help bring jobs back into the United States, mm-hmm. um, whether they're, you know, manufacturing jobs or service jobs. I, that's sort of beside the point, um, but but yeah. Yes, I, I wanna. So do you no, no, I agree that? with Corey. Okay. And I, and something else we could add is also like the minimum wage that mm-hmm. a lot of people like are really advocating really hard for. I think we should let the companies decide what the minimum wage is because, and also what you said about automation. Is that like if you have a high minimum wage, a person is going to be replaced with a machine, and then people are starting complaining about not having jobs. Well, you 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 don't have to pay a machine one way or another, so the machine is going to replace kind of regardless yes. of what uh-huh. your wage policy is going to be, right? I mean, that's uh, that's just the reality mm-hmm. of automation. Someone has and, to make the machine. Oh, well, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. But so my so but so my question is then, um, if so on on that specific commentary is then so how do we develop? Right, mm-hmm. a twenty-first century economy in the United States, according to conservative principles, I guess is what I'm asking. Right, rather than mm-hmm. rather than kind of, than hearkening back to the 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 past of the United States in terms of yep. being an economic powerhouse, how do we use conservative principles to make sure that the American economy is the powerhouse of the twenty-first century? Well, we first begin by limiting government. I think. As Corey said, you get more innovation when, like, um, you don't have the government telling you what to do, how much to pay, and uh, government should tell you. But um, I think that's one option. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the 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 free market does, does wonders. I mean, you mm-hmm. can never expect what's going to come of it, but it from looking at history, letting it operate has just done magnificent things for this country, um, and moving into different ages, whether it be, you know, the industrial age or the, you know, te- technology age, you know, I, I mean, I think just having an economic policy that allows the free market to operate will allow us to be an economic powerhouse in the 21st century. So I, I want to get to this, go back to this issue that you brought up, which is the sort of, um, homogenization in the media or at least among liberals of yeah. the different strains of conservative thought right and, and I asked this question actually at a very at a very personal uh, uh-huh. a very personal way just because I find myself like very marginally attached to liberals and there are some elements of conservative mm-hmm. philosophy that mm-hmm. I, I'm totally I'm very attracted to and you know I'm not going to get into the reasons why or why or why not I don't jump to the other side but what is the range that's reflected in BU College Republicans of these, you know, between Libertarians and oh, Tea yeah. Party? and We have everything. Okay. Don't we? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are more moderate since it's also Boston. Right. Uh, a lot of people are coming from the Northeast. But, yeah, we have, like, some, like, Rand Paul Libertarians. 
we have a lot of people who voted for um, Gary Johnson. Right. And then we have like some like hardcore Trump supporters too. But yeah, we have like we're all around the place. So it seems that in the discussion we were having regarding, you know, the way to attract millennials, um, you mm-hmm. know, you mm-hmm. focused on the dignity of the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You focused a lot in this conversation on reducing regulation. So so of the different strains of conservative philosophy, if you were to sort of push one as the method of, of attracting young millennials or people, maybe people marginally attached to the liberal movement like myself, then, you know, what, what do you think you should... I love that question. What do you think you I should mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's the question as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, that's... I've been thinking about that actually for quite a while. I think what Corey said also about, like, identity politics and, like, putting people into groups is one of the reasons why I cannot, like... I cannot be part of the liberal movement. Um, now, it's obviously, it's, like, different for every person. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, you just have to have to relate to people and right. talk mm-hmm. about things like... For example, one question I always like: as everyone uses Uber, right? Right. Uber was a product of the free market, right? And mm-hmm. you know, so I mean, just just things like that, and um, yeah. I, yeah. Um. So I just I think that like in in terms of uh, attracting millennials and mm-hmm. all these things, um, I think that a big issue that people have is uh, campaign finances and campaign okay. finance reform. Yeah. Yep. Um. And I think that it, it relates to the free market in some way because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people don't see a free market system working at the same time as there is this ability to put unlimited money into the political system. Mm. Um, or at least that's, like, something that I hear among, like, liberals that, like, I interact with and just millennials generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what are your guys' thoughts on that, like, um, yeah, generally, I guess? Um, um... I think, like, in both, like, sides of the spectrum, I think we have, like, a lot of money going to campaigns, so, I mean, it's not only, like, a conservative thing, it's also oh, a, like, no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a liberal thing. Um, I think it would be really hard to control, like, even, like, like, people are going to find ways to get money for their campaigns, even if you have, like, some kind of, like, limit. Like, there's, I mean, look at Trump, he got, like, all that free advertising, despite the fact that he, like, gathered much less money than Clinton did. So, yeah, mo- most most of the campaign I finance mean, concern, actually, in this election was, I mean, in the Republican side, you had Jeb Bush originally, but then, I mean, Hillary Clinton yeah. was the ultimate... Yeah, yeah. But, let, let me just, yeah. uh, you know, I think when we talk about campaign finance, yeah. a lot of people go, oh, yeah, the presidential election, well, like, how could that have been... Uh, mm-hmm. Affected by campaign finance mm-hmm. because, but th- the difference is that the presidential election is so high profile mm-hmm. that the money that's spent on either side uh, is really irrelevant because everyone is aware of a presidential election coming yeah. up. Mm-hmm. What's different is these lower level elections. That's where that's where money comes into play in a big way, and uh-huh. it's uh, what really where it really comes into play. Is in is in primaries, for instance, mm. right? Because mm-hmm. the primaries are what's having this rightward and leftward influence on our political spectrum, and this is where we think money corrupts the political system. Yep. Because the more you can pull to the right or pull to the left by primarying a uh, an incumbent, you know, the more you polarize the political system generally. So, my question, I guess, is, you know, I think. Sorry, uh, one more bit of commentary here is just that I think conservatives have a strong incentive, a very strong mm-hmm. incentive. To make sure, you know, in order to sort of control 
um, the spectrum of conservatism and, and narrow it down on some yep. of these principles mm -hmm. that we're talking about, there is a strong incentive to re uh, reform campaign finance. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of different ways to do it. And I guess, what, you know, we're just curious, um, do you think the generational divide applies in this? Do you think that small dollar donations are the answer? Matching funds are the answer? Uh, maybe more institutionalization of it is the answer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, do you support the Koch brothers funding uh, funding candidates? You know, I mean, where do you fall on those issues? I'm personally not opposed. Like as long as like let's say if I mean, if Soros, if it's okay for Soros to fund the Democrats, then it must be okay for the Koch brothers to fund us. Well, I, right. I, I, so, I mean, I think you're getting you're saying this is on both sides. And right. Yes. Yeah, no, just I, a yeah. general issue. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say, I don't think this is something that, like, our generation has, like, really yeah. thought about a lot, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, in terms of, like, the issues that, like, run around my head, it's honestly not one of them that often yeah. goes around. But, I, I mean, it, you do bring up a good point. I, I mean, I'd say people would be open-minded to things like that. I mean, it, I think the general population, young people included, are pretty disgusted that money continues to buy politics. Uh, or, you know, money continues to buy votes on, on both sides, and money continues to buy policy decisions. Uh -huh. um, and, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would hope that politicians would stick to their principles, not to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that, you know, obviously that doesn't translate into reality. <laughs> right. It just doesn't yeah, translate into reality at all. It's a, it's a very idealistic view. Uh -huh. um, but, yeah, um, you know, I'd say I definitely have an, have an open mind to mm -hmm. things, but also ensuring that people are able to, um, you know, uh, express, you know, free speech through, you know, mm -hmm. donating to candidates of their choice. And, you know. I, I just, uh, I, I don't think I understand the concept of free speech through donating, through to, donating a to a candidate. Uh, could you, like, explain that to me? I, I don't, I don't mean it from, uh, from, like, a mm -hmm. super PAC perspective. I just mean, I, I, you're right. There, there, there are issues with it. Um, but I, I mean, I do think that the ability for an interest group, which is made up of people, or a business, which is made up of people, um, to be able to, you know, contribute to and, and have their voice heard is, is important. Do you think um, that, you, you mentioned that these institutions are made mm -hmm. up of people, but don't you think that the institution itself, when you get people together, has a different incentive than do individuals? Well, I think the I think the institutions would have incentive to benefit the individuals that are within their institutions. Okay, would you so say so? Uh, so so are you saying that in an institution, in a business, let's say, that that institution is functioning to aggregate the will of many individuals? Because and the reason I ask is just because I think that sometimes we're, we're, I'm not trying to impugn mm -hmm. the integrity of the individuals in any business. Yeah, but businesses have their own incentives to self-perpetuate and you know get right, sorts of right. tax breaks and that stuff. There are tax breaks that businesses can lobby for with money mm -hmm. that individuals cannot. It's a whole it's a whole different class of a problem, is it not? Yeah, well, I, and that's one thing is like I that's I mean you bring up like tax breaks. Mm -hmm. That's one area where I think like loopholes in. Uh, you're, there, there are very many loopholes in campaign finance. There are many, very many loopholes in tax code in general. Yeah, right. That I think, you know, uh, uh, you know, 
the party believes that those should be closed. Right. Um, and Donald Trump has advocated for that. And so, I, you know, it's right. certainly a thing. But so, I think that the way that those loopholes got there yeah. is through interest groups having a say because of the money that they've contributed well, yeah. on well, how this ta- these so tax codes are Guys, I, I, I really want to interject here just to say that one, one of the things that I think really gets lost in translation in this discussion is legal incentivization and legal structure. Um, Organizations like publicly traded companies are accountable to their shareholders, Mm -hmm. first and foremost, not necessarily to the individuals within that organization that comprise them, right? So the the legal incentives are aligned in a way that makes it so that um, maximizing maximizing shareholder value is first and foremost Mm -hmm. your primary preoccupation. And so the way that you go about doing that is what dictates... Uh, is what dictates the the outcome for a specific organization, right? So, mm-hmm. I think if you, I, I, I think the the whole conversation about um, whether or not uh, uh, m- you know con- contributions constitute free speech, this, that, or the other thing, kind of misses the point of that legal structure in and of itself, and kind of the foundational principles and legal principles upon which a lot of corporations and organizations in the United States were organized, and that thereby dictate their conduct. Um, so, I think taking that framework into consideration is very important when you look at these very specific more narrow issues mm-hmm. of legality right right is because this is not this is an offshoot of a greater legal legal framework that that's been pre-established for a very long time in the United States yep. right and that and that takes on its own articulation its own manifestation with the flow of history and so the adjustments i think that need to be made are the ones that reflect the times in which we live mm-hmm. right um, and and that's when I when I say like let's how how do we bring the United States um, on a variety of levels into the twenty first century? It's first and foremost by that mechanism that mm-hmm. I'm talking about, right? Um, is is leak sort? Sorry, sorry about that. That that's my that's my soapbox rant about uh, the importance of law, in the United right. States. I, I know. So I want to point out that we're kind of. Uh, nearing nearing the end of our time here, and yeah. one thing that we haven't yet discussed that I think is essential mm-hmm. to discuss is foreign affairs. Uh, just because, yep. uh, yes, absolutely, yeah, you're right. that is that is <laughs> yes, I, that is one of the main things yeah. when when there's a change of administration and, and in in areas where a president might have leeway to really mm-hmm. change the, the status of a country. I mean, it, it is in foreign affairs. So, uh, I guess I want to start with there's there is there seems to be an evident divide over the issue of Russia within mm-hmm. the Republican Party. This seems to be like the core of the difference between congressional Republicans, you could say John McCain, Marco Graham. Rubio, right. Lindsey Graham, right. Um, and I bring up Marco Rubio in reference to, to confirming uh, Rex Tillerson. And then the administration, Rex Tillerson, Donald Trump, um, the recently departed Michael Flynn at least, these are all mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. who are seen as pro-Russia. And then even within the administration, you have people who are a little bit stronger on these issues like James Mattis. So yes. at where, do, where do you individually side uh, and how do you see these different factions within the Republican Party reconciling these differences over the coming weeks? So Putin is not someone to be taken lightly. Yes, he should not That's be trusted. That's for sure. Um, John McCain is absolutely right when he says there is no moral equivalence between the United States and Russia. Um, with that said, I don't think it's a bad thing to have a working relationship with Russia. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of issues over the next 10 years that we're going to need to deal them with, including Syria, yeah, European right. security. Um, 
the Arctic is even going to become like an, an area of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean the you know talk about Michael Flynn. Um, you know I, I mean the latest out of that is that he didn't actually do anything wrong. Uh, the FBI didn't find any wrongdoing. Right. Um, that what it was it was an issue of trust between him and the vice president and the president. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, it, I, I mean. I think it's hard to, without knowing what's going on on the inside, too, it's hard to, like, right. make a yes. 100% judgment on these things. But So I, I want to leave the Flynn yeah. issue alone. Just yeah, that's fine. It's, that's, it's developing. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. We, <laughs> I don't want to start yeah. saying alternative facts either. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so. I, I'm... <laughs> I'm glad you could, you could have fun with that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty fun one. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, but I, I do want to I do want to uh, stick with this this Russia. You know, so Trump's argument has been, you know, well, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we get along with Russia? And I mean, in a sense, you could say that about a whole lot of of enemies, right? Uh, but wouldn't it be great the, if we got along with everybody? With everybody, yeah. right? Right. right. Yeah. So. <laughs> so so yeah so you know you could say that a lot about a lot of enemies but there's ultimately a spectrum you know there's a spectrum of you know on one side for instance let's say the Obama administration enga- mm-hmm. engaging with Cuba or engaging with Iran all of a sudden we've started you know we engaged over um, you know limiting Iran's nuclear capacities we engage with Cuba over sort of reestablishing some relation but we're not friends with Cuba mm-hmm. right and then on the other side of the spectrum you know you have you know our special relationship with the UK our tightest relationship yes. where do you think Russia should fall on this because it seemed that administration after administration has attempted to reach out. You know, you had Bush on his ranch looking into Putin's eyes. <laughs> that, that's that's true. You had the reset. You had the reset in the Obama administration. So, where should the policy of this administration put Russia on that spectrum? Because it seems like Trump is is leaning towards the friendship side when, in uh, fact, it seems like we should engage with them with with principles, right? Mm-hmm. Like we yes. do with enemies. I mean, as for now, while Putin is still in charge, I don't think we should put them on the friendship side. I don't think we should isolate them completely either. I think, as Corey said, we can work on some things together regarding Syria, but I don't. But also, but I also do not believe that the sanctions should be lifted, the ones that were imposed right now. So. Right. I would say um, maybe a bit more friendly than Cuba, but I, but again, I don't agree with Obama's whole Cuba policy. Trust but verify. Yes. So it, it, it still applies. <laughs> so, okay, so let me shift, now that you bring that up, let me shift momentarily from Russia. Do you believe trust but verify applies to the Iranian nuclear deal? Um, well, it's a different situation. Okay. Um, and you know, I, I was I was originally opposed to the Iran nuclear do, uh, nuclear deal. Um, I think now that it's been done, it's going to be kind of hard to unravel. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I think that that principle does apply universally. But I, again, each case is is different, and you know, Iran is a country that has. You know, the people out in the streets chanting "Death to America." So I, I, right. I think with you know Russia and Iran are two sort of separate cases. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think trust but verify is a good general principle. 
Okay. To follow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, on this, on the Cuba issue, uh, because mm-hmm. that's something that's a, a policy of the late Obama administration, mm-hmm. and it's still developing. What what issue uh, did you take with us engaging with Cuba, and what do you think the tr- Trump administration should do at this point? I mean, at this point, I don't think he can do much because Obama already lifted the embargo. I think he should have waited more. Right. Like, I don't think, I mean, yes, 50 years of complete isolation did not work, but again, I think it's not the time yet. Right. I just want to mm-hmm. clarify that Obama uh, engaged diplomatically with Cuba, but the embargo is left still, to Congress. Yes. yes. So, so what we're left with over mm-hmm. the next several years is this strange dual situation where we have relations with the country but and like, yeah. an embargo in mm-hmm. place. And oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Do, do you think that Trump should sort of stay the status quo? Do you think he should uh, rescind the actions of the Obama administration or push Congress to sort of unify our relations with them and get rid of this embargo? I would say just keep the status quo for now because I think it would probably be more dangerous if he just you know completely like isolated them. I think for the embargo, I think he would have to wait, though. Okay. Um. I, I just want to say I think I think we gotta cut we, we gotta cut the conversation short mm-hmm. at least for in my own interest like, yeah. I have to I have to go to class uh, yeah in, yeah in, in uh-huh. ten right. fifteen um, but I think I I think um, I guess the primary insight that I've derived from this conversation is that there is so much left to be discussed exactly and that uh, that discussion needs to be taking place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because in its absence we are not getting anywhere fast mm-hmm. I think that much is clear. Um, and and so I wanted to thank you guys for taking yeah, the time. Thank you for having us here. Um, and hopefully we'll have a, another opportunity to kind of flesh out some of the more issues that we have yet to get to. I mean, I can't believe we didn't we didn't even manage to get to foreign policy until the tail end of the administration. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how that happens, but yeah, I, I feel like I, I feel like we have a, a ton of issues to discuss, and we'd love to keep talking with you guys uh, in the future. Mm-hmm. But uh, thanks again. Yeah. yeah thank sure. you. No